This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. What is your next mission from God? We all have one. God has something in mind for us right where we are. Welcome to Your Next Mission from God with Julian Durko, where the saints show us how it's done. They've been through it, and sometimes they even got it wrong before they got it right. Based on Julie's book, Discover Your Next Mission from God, Saints Who Found God's Will and How You Can Too, Julie shares unique stories from the lives of the saints to show how they searched for and discovered God's will for their lives. In this fallen world, there are many things that happen to a good number of people that are horrific, unfair, uh, damaging, hurtful. It could be even be the situation they're born into. It could be a handicap, whatever. There's just, there's things that happen to us or are part of our existence. And it was true for the saints too. That's the condition of this fallen world. There's going to be bad things that happen to people. But when we look to the saints, we find people who did not allow this to embitter them, to define their identity. The saints realized that if they had Jesus, they had everything. So all the disadvantages, the handicaps, um, the discrimination, uh, the economic uh, poverty, the poor family life or lack of parents, all these things, when they really internalize the fact that they had Jesus and they had this eternal vision of everything, suddenly things were in perspective, you know. They had everything. So instead of focusing on what wasn't right or what they didn't have, when you realize that you have the greatest gift in the entire universe, in all of existence, in Jesus, and especially in the Eucharist, that you have everything. This reality, this spiritual reality, which is stronger than, which is more real than the physical world we live in, when we take into account what is real, the unseen world, God's plan, everything for eternity, then we understand these hurts don't have the, the power over us that they had before, you know, because we have everything. There's several saints that have been in horrific situations and they didn't become embittered. They didn't become hurtful, angry, unforgiving. They did quite the opposite. Think of Maximilian Kolbe. I think of him in Auschwitz. Josephine Bakita, she was enslaved from a young child, seven years old, until her young adulthood. Not a bitter bone in her body. She was so grateful to finally discover Jesus. She did say that if she had known him in her slave years, it would have made it easier. But once she found him, that was great. And the saint that I wanted to bring you today was St. Martin de Porras. He had a lot of reasons to be embittered, but he chose Christ. And it's a beautiful story. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. Martin de Porras was born in Lima, Peru in 1579. He was the illegitimate son 
of a Spanish nobleman and a freed slave woman that was um, of, of African and Native American descent. And so he was just a mix, African, Native American, and, and Spanish. And he was also illegitimate, so his father wasn't claiming him. Anyway, his mother, being a freed woman, uh, still didn't have too many skills. She took in laundry. So he and his sister and, and his mom, they lived in poverty. So when he was about 12 years old, she apprenticed him to a barber. Now this sounds kind of funny, a barber. But in those days, a barber was a lot more than just cutting hair. They did cut hair and cut beards, but a barber was also a surgeon and a doctor. They sewed you up, they set your bones. Uh, they, they prescribed medications. He learned about herbs and things, um, bloodletting, if, if you can imagine. All of this were part of what it was to be a barber. But when he became a little bit older, at the age of 15, he really wanted to join the Dominicans. Uh, but this is an interesting thing. Under Peruvian law, if you were an African-American or if you were Native American, you could not join the Dominicans under Peruvian law, not under the church law. Interesting, wasn't it? So we've got some of, you know, some of that. So he asked to be just a servant boy, you know, to just go and serve. And they allowed him to serve. What they allowed him to do, it, he, he proved to be trustworthy. He had a, a desire to become holy. He prayed a lot. He just really, the Lord had a hold of his heart and he was joyful. He didn't think, oh, I don't get to be a Dominican. He thought, oh, I get to be among the Dominicans. I get to be in church every day. I get to go to mass all the time. I get to serve mass. I get to serve the poor. What a privilege. And he counted his blessings instead of what he didn't have. But what he didn't have was given to him in time because the Dominicans, the father provincial there, he recognized the holiness in this young man. And, and after a time, he admitted him to the order. And so he became eventually a lay brother. He never became a priest, but he became a full Dominican, wore the habit, um, and then eventually set up a infirmary where he did barber work. He got hair and beers and things, but he, but he mended people's lacerations, their broken bones. He gave them herbs and, but what, was happening through all this is that many of the people were cured and it wasn't from the medical arts. It was from his holiness, from praying over them and taking care of them. And it just kind of spread, you know, everybody spread the word that this guy was a really holy guy. So he was a professed third order Dominican working in the infirmary. And um, I'll give you some examples of the way that he behaved. One of the things is that not only he did work in the kitchen too, and he did menial work and errands, and he worked in the garden. He also gave advice, spiritual direction from this third order Dominican without an education to the other brothers and to people that would come. And he was so sincere in his advice so sincere and humble in his advice. And it was always the truth, so it couldn't be refuted. So one time, for instance, there was an epidemic and they said, you cannot put all these people in, in our infirmary, we are full. So his sister who lived outside of town, she said, use my house. So he would transport patients there during this epidemic. 
And one time there was a man who was very, very sick and he didn't have time to bring him to his sister. So he put him in his own room and left him there while he tended some other duties. Well, what happened was that um, he got in trouble for it. Someone told him, said, you know, he's got this sick man in his room and we're in an epidemic here. We can't have that, you know? And so um, this is what he said. I'm gonna read it to you. I'm reading off my, my cheat sheet here. Forgive my error and please instruct me for I did not know that the precept of obedience, obedience not to have the patients in, in, his home, in his room, the precept of obedience took precedence over charity. So this is what he said to the prior. Now, if we dissect it a little bit, forgive my error first, he's saying, you know, forgive my error, I did something wrong, forgive me. Then he's saying, and please instruct me. Because if I did something wrong, I want to get it right. So forgive my error. Please instruct me. I did not know that the precept of obedience took precedence over that of charity. So here he is in a very subtle, beautiful way, correcting the prior who should have had his priorities in order. Charity comes before obedience in situations like this. So anyway, the prior gave him liberty to do whatever he wanted after that. It was interesting. And during this epidemic, there were 60 of the friars who were very sick and they were quarantined behind locked doors. But you know what? Somehow they said he just walked through walls. Like no one saw him walk through walls, but none of the doors were open. He didn't have the key or the ability and he would be inside tending them and then outside. There were all these mystical things that kind of happened to him around around his, his life. Um, but one of the things that was a, a very much a priority was his prayer life. That came first. He was so devoted to the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Holy Eucharist, especially in the chapel. There was this in, in the eaves, there was a spot where he could kind of hide and no one would notice him so that he could gaze upon the Eucharist or be close to the tabernacle where nobody would know. And one day they were looking for him and they found him in there. They found him in this little sp space, but he was actually elevated and he didn't even see them because he was so captivated by the Eucharist, you know, and uh, he was just levitating there, you know, in his ecstasy. It's interesting how he would be so absorbed in prayer. Uh, there's a story that he was kneeling before the Blessed Sacrament and the kneeler caught on fire and there was this big fire and everyone's, and he's just oblivious to it because he's so engrossed in, in recognizing Jesus. And this is the part where, where it's very important to understand that when we really recognize Jesus and who he is and that he is everything, that all the disadvantages of our situation and our life and everything, they just pale by comparison. They just don't have their, their power to, to bring us down, to enslave us in unforgiveness. They just don't have that power. It's easier to forgive when we know we have everything. We got the greatest gift, Jesus. He, he had a way with animals. Animals would come to his door for healing. And sometimes like a dog would get in a scrape with another dog and he's like, you gotta stop fighting. And he would tell the dog, give the dog instructions and heal him up, sew him up, you know, and take care of him at one time. One of the friars had a dog. He was 18 years old and he had mange and he smelled really bad. I mean, he was obviously a sick dog. He was on his last leg, just a, a miserable situation. And it was very difficult to have the dog around. It was time really to put the dog down. So he arranged for somebody to, um, you know, 
take the dog, put him out of his misery and be done with it. Well, what happened was, I know this is a funny story. What happened was, is the guy who was uh, asked to euthanize the dog, saw the dog sunbathing one day. And so he goes over with a big rock and he just bashes him in the head and kills him in an instant. He's dead. And, and he's, he's taking the dog down to the river to dump it in the river. Okay. And Martin DePoris catches sight of this whole thing. And he's angry and he takes the dog he takes the dog back to his room and the dog's eyes open he stitches up his head and he stays in his room for a few days a while and his mange goes away he starts to smell good he's got good health and as soon as he's really well the dog just leaves goes back to his old owner and the owner is like thrilled because the owner, the friar, he didn't want his dog to be stinky and mangy and sick and dying. Uh, but here he was restored to him. But this is so interesting. Martin goes to that friar and he gives him a mild correction. And I'm going to read what he said. Martin de Porus told the friar that he had not done well in ordering his companion of so many years to be killed. Oh! That was another mild reproof because the dog had been a companion faithful for so many years. Anyway, he had a way with animals and it's kind of like the preternatural gifts that St. Francis had, you know, St. Francis of Assisi, that you could commune with animals and commune with nature. Martin could do these same things. As a matter of fact, Martin de Porres often is referred to as the St. Francis of the Dominicans because he was so much like St. Francis. He aided immigrants. He helped them find work. He was a good person. He, he, he fed through alms that he received. He fed 160 people every day. He died in 1639. He was, he was 60 years old. Lots of people were coming to his body and there was healings and, and everything. And then finally, you know, they bury him and everything. 25 years later, they exhume his body and they found it intact and giving off a beautiful fragrance. So that's beautiful. Um, he was beatified by Pope Clement the 13th in 1763. So very early on after his death, he was beatified. And then he was canonized by John the 23rd in 1962. Quite a saint who gives us a role model of looking to Jesus for our worth, for everything. Because when we have Jesus, we have everything. And the, the hurtful things in life, they just can't enslave us. They can't get a hold on us. Martin de Porres is a great example of holiness. Pray with me now. Jesus, Mary, Joseph, we love you. You've been listening to Your Next Mission from God with Julie Durko, produced at the studios of Mater Dei Radio in Portland, Oregon. To listen to this podcast, visit materdayradio.com. To find out more about Julie's book, Discover Your Next Mission from God, Saints Who Found God's Will and How You Can Too, or if you're in need of a Catholic speaker for a parish mission, retreat, conference, or event, visit catholicfinishstrong.org. That's catholicfinishstrong.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus 
through the Blessed Virgin Mary.